0: So, how are we all holding up? Doing okay into the, going into this Christmas season? You're keeping your head above water? A lot of us probably feels good just to sit for an hour right now, doesn't it? You're actually looking forward to that, go to pretty... Good pace. Well, this morning we're going to be spending one last week in uh, the, the book of Romans before we have a special Christmas message uh, next week, but then we'll pick back up in January uh, where we left off. We've been working through just chapter by chapter through the book of Romans. We're in the second half of chapter 7 here this morning. Now, as I was uh, starting to unpack this text, I was thinking about a, a new term. That I've seen evolve over probably the last five, ten years to describe those of us who are in the church. It used to be nice and simple, described as a Christ follower. Now I've caught on to a new term we're described as church people, church people. Have you heard this before? I was talking to a guy at 24 Fitness uh, uh, recently and I was just uh, explaining what it is I, I do and he said, oh, so you're one of those church people. I'm like, huh, not cr- really quite sure what to do with that, if that's a good thing or, or a bad thing. I guess it's a good thing. I am a church person, I imagine. But uh, thinking about that, I think it, it's created maybe potentially a little confusion about what's expected of us because when we're labeled Christ follower, it's easy the expectation is that you follow Christ. You know, that's nice and clear. But church people, what do I do with that? What's expected of church people? What's expected of church people, it leads, I would propose, to a degree of confusion. I think when we think of church people, there's a degree of perfection that maybe seems a bit unattainable. There's a pressure to have the smiley face and come across like everything's all put together. Pleated pants, check, Bible reading, daily, prayer life, constant, church attendance, flawless, serving, always family life, perfect, sin, never. You know, like you, think, you, think, you think about what's expected of church people and a bit unrealistic, and I would propose that this thinking can be pretty damaging for both camps. For those within the church, and those outside of the church. For those within the church, they have this mentality of like, oh man, I, I, can't, I can't meet this expectation, so, so I have to hide the, the truth about my shortcomings, and I don't want to be authentic or real, because the picture is that we're supposed to have it all together. And because of that, unchecked sins seem to have the effect of the snowball, the idea of they just keep getting larger and larger unlike plants sin grows really well in the dark for the non-church person they want nothing to do with these self-righteous judgmental church people and so you create this this weird dichotomy and i was even talking to that same man inviting him to join us for a service at some time and here was his response i couldn't ever darken the door of a church do you hear that do you get that idea that something is really light and perfect and I don't want to darken, I don't want to throw off a good thing. But what I love this morning is that Paul shatters this misconception by being completely transparent about the sin in his own life and explaining to us how this all works, why it makes sense that we're what a new creation but We're still stuck in the old flesh and this idea that, that we don't have to be perfect. We can exhale a little bit. In fact, tell the person next to you, you can stay. It's good news. You can, you, you can stay. You're, allow, you're allowed to stick around. Uh, s- some of us a little more concerning than others there. Uh, but but the, this idea you can stay, I love this quote by a comedian. He says, not going to church because of hypocrites is like not going to the gym because of out-of-shape people. This picture, this expectation that we don't have it all together. In our text, Paul explains that as believers, we're a new creation, but still existing in the old flesh. While the desire to obey God is there, we fail when we try to do it in our own strength. He's not saying this to, as an idea of just living a defeated life, but he's also not saying that we're in constant victory either. he notice a few steps forward, a step back, sometimes three steps back, one step forward. In other words, sanctification is a bit messy. Let me pray as we dive in. God, we thank you for this opportunity to look at this perfect example of authenticity that Paul represents, the weight that comes off our back when we actually understand what's going on, what's at stake, what's, what, what we're dealing with internally. Pray that you'd speak to us this morning, that you'd take layers off our eyes if there's been confusion here, that there'd be freedom that comes from this understanding of the, the tug of war of sorts between the flesh and the new us going on. Pray that you'd be great, I'd be small. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So, verse 13, chapter 7. It's so helpful for all looking at this together. The truth about my flesh is the first thing that he points to. Did you, I'm sorry, verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment, might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Paul reiterates what we talked about last week that the law is good and not to bl- be blamed for our problems. It's played its role perfectly, revealing sin, and even here we see allowing it to grow to the full size so that it could be dealt with once and for all on the cross. But the law also exposed the reality that we see in the end of verse 14. It says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. So in other words, my, my, even though my old nature was buried with Christ, we talk about, talked about that a few weeks ago, it was put to death, literally gone, no longer. We have a new nature But this new nature, for those of us that have embraced Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our our new nature has to exist for still a number of years in this old flesh. Are you tracking with me? This this broken down flesh that's really been programmed since birth to sin. That's that's what it does. That's that's who we are at, at our core. It's been programmed from the beginning in sin, I was passed on this story uh, or section of a book from a book called Birthright by David Needham. And it's a little bit of a, uh, I, I timed it, so it takes about two and a half minutes to read to you guys. Can we handle that? Two and a half minutes? Can you, can you guys stay with me? I think it's a perfect picture. There's some people like, uh uh-uh, uh, I'm dozing. Uh, but, uh, but it's a perfect picture of this, this struggle beti- between those two worlds as there's new leadership that's come in our lives imagine with me a great profit-making company whose essential purpose is to manufacture poisonous gas for the army great company right department by department the company busies itself daily with this goal in the chemistry lab they are absorbed in the search for newer deadlier even more destructive gases The bookkeepers bend over the records in pursuit of profit-loss comparisons. Salesmen thumb through well-worn synonym finders in search for positive adjectives. Quality control inspectors rush about with clipboards and sharpened number three pencils, all busy, all geared toward that one consuming goal, producing poisonous gas for profit. And then a remarkable thing happens to the poisonous gas company. The entire board of directors, all the top brass, the full ownership of the company, changes hands. It's actually a brand new company, not only because of a change in leadership and name, but also because of a change in its essential purpose. The new company rejects the profit-making motive. It is now committed by its very nature to be a non-profit company. Its new product, making life-saving oxygen for hospitals. It's more than a corporate name change, more than a simple paper shuffle. It's an actual change of identity. Well, that solves everything. Everyone appreciates oxygen. This new company should work out just fine. But it isn't quite that simple. It seems that all the company's machinery and all of those very departments are still geared up for the same old poisonous purpose. In fact, if left to themselves, each of these departments would still measure their success as they always measure success, producing poison for profit. That's what life was all about for many of those old career poison producers. Just because the company changed doesn't mean all the departments automatically snap to attention. It's tough to teach the old hands new tasks, so management has a clear-cut job to do. An intense indoctrination program has to take place, filtering from the top- Write on down. Listen, chemists, you must change your concept of success in this department. Junk your poison formulas. Success is now measured by the quality of life-saving oxygen you can produce. Bookkeepers, attention, please. From now on, you will simply have to miss the pleasure you used to derive from being the first to know the size of the company's profit. Forget profit. Management expects you simply to keep the books and keep them well. Understood? Understood, perhaps... But not appreciated why do we have to be so different every other company judges a success just like we used to we've always measured ourselves against the competition that added some spice to life you're asking us to reject most of what we've learned it may sound easy for you up there on the top floor but down here that's something else Did you capture that picture there that picture that he's painting of the fact that this is this is not a little makeover This is a complete overhaul. Just because the management has changed doesn't mean that the different departments want to come in line with that change. There's going to be really every single aspect of the company or the flesh that needs to change. Nothing Nothing can stay the same. And the truth is, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. We see that's even true for Paul in this next section. But you thinking about that, I love C.S. Lewis says, You discover the power of an army not by surrendering to it, but by resisting it. By resisting it. That's how you discover its power. During this building project that we did at the church, we called it Refresh, and one of the things that we did to save a a few bucks is we did some of the landscaping stuff ourselves. And so all the guys showed up one particular day all excited, like, all right, we're going to do some manly stuff and tear out things. And so this set of bushes kind of over where you get your coffee, those uh, where you've got the sliding window. We had a big set of bushes there. We got out there and we're like, man, we're gonna, we're gonna take these out. In the first 15 minutes, we had a chainsaw, which made us feel especially manly. We're, we're, we're wiping out this section of bushes. It was great. Like we had, we had that taken out in probably a half an hour. We're like, man, we're making some good progress. Then we get down after the, the, the top parts was all cut out and we're like, huh, we've gotta get the root system out too. This isn't going to be quite so easy. So hours on hours with pickaxes, guys, are slaving at this, digging around this whole root system, And before we realize it, we're like, whoa, this isn't going to happen quite as easily as we had thought. We got rid of the surface stuff pretty quickly. But the big, deep-rooted things, that comes not without a fight, right? Isn't that the same picture of us with the old flesh? Yeah, some of the surface stuff, we took care of that. We got, the, we got those things taken care of. But some of the deeper stuff, man, not so easy. Paul talks about this in his personal experience. He says, For I do not understand my actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do, do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me, pointing to some glaring inconsistencies in his life. After hearing that first verse, anybody else want to adopt that as a theme life verse? I don't know, that sounds, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Anybody else honest enough to admit that's their Christian experience? Man, so often you're like, man, it's not an issue of knowing what's right. It's an issue of, of the application of it. To me, it's encouraging that one of the heroes of our faith, who's written 13 books in the New Testament, he's there saying that you're like, who? if Paul struggles with this, then that's good news for me. Like, man, that's, that's encouraging that I'm not the only one. He points out what's troubled every moralist since Aristotle is We can identify the right thing to do, but can't seem to do it. Is that your experience? You're just like, man, I'm, I'm sold out for Christ, but my behavior still stinks. Why do I keep going back to that? Why do I talk to my wife like that? Why do I respond in anger to that? Why do I go back to this habitual sin? Why do I, why? all these questions, the same thing that Paul comes to is, why do I do the things I don't want to do? Of his, he, I even asked, he says, I don't even understand. I don't understand my, these glaring inconsistencies. This is especially confusing, I'd propose, for newer believers. And they're just like, man, I'm just expecting that there's just going to be a tidal wave of change and like no more of the old, out with that. And it's going to be just smooth sailing from here. Not aware that the fact that in this process of change, grace is just as necessary as in salvation. This process, yes, we clearly have a new identity. Look at how many times he uses I, 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 I. I think this, I, this, is, this is my desire. The, in his inner core, his identity has changed. Remember, the old was put to death. But man, it's hard to get the actions of the flesh to align with my new identity. Does that make sense? Trying to get the, uh, my actions to align is not an easy process. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me, causing this inconsistency. Next section, he, he points out, man, this is, this is maybe even worse than I thought. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Basically pointing out that it's more than just inconsistency. What does he say in verse 18? That nothing good dwells in me. Like, whoo! this is like every single department in this business needs to overhaul. You ever watch those, those extreme makeover shows and sometimes they start tearing into the walls and getting in there like, this is worse than we thought. Like I think we're going to have to start over the the two good-looking twins have to tear the whole thing down, you know? Like the it, it needs a whole refresh. Like the, the the and really isn't that the the same idea here? Well that he's pointing to is like, "Listen, the the closer I draw to Christ, the more you see how broken we are." You're just like Man, there, there, there's really nothing that's still good inside of me. The only thing that's good inside of me is Christ who's setting up camp and weeding out the old. I love at the, at the, the malls or at the different stores when they have those dressing rooms where you actually have a little step that you step up onto and then you're in one of those mirror things that has like a it's kind of wraps around you like an mri machine and like you see every single angle anybody else hate those mirrors like i do and you're like i didn't need to see all those angles i i know that i'm thinning you know like i okay maybe a little more than thinning um But I, I, didn't, I didn't need to know that my love handles have expanded around to my back. Like, I, I didn't need to know this. Like, you, you see, the full gamut of our brokenness is what is exposed the closer we get to Christ. And that's what's Paul, this isn't a sign. Some people think like, man, he was, he was pretty spiritually immature. I would say just the opposite. The closer we draw to Christ, the more we become like him, the more we start to see like, whoa, There's a lot of transformation still needed in this broken company, if you will. What does he say? He says, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Desire is there, but trouble doing it. I'm a big basketball fan, and uh, I've watched a a lot of... uh, Uh, Kobe's I shouldn't say a lot but some of Kobe's last year here he he announced and everybody's like yeah Kobe it's probably time that you should go and uh you're shooting like nine percent and uh and and so so but watching him it's interesting to watch because man that that guy's programmed to score that guy uh, I mean he he has a winning like uh, like he he knows how to to make a basket but now this year as he's getting older and he even talks about it he even says like man the desire's there but what? The legs just won't do it anymore. I, I can attest to that. Like over the years, like it's just it gets harder and harder. He's like, man, as much as I want to keep doing this, my body just won't let me. The same is true for us with our new nature. He's not he's not saying that there's nothing good that comes from. Him. There's plenty of good. Obviously, we see marks all over the place of the good that Paul is doing, but all of the things that the new desire, the, the new nature that's in, in, in him. Man, I'm not able to do all the things that this new perfect nature inside me wants to do. Can see sense the frustration. See that it's like a battle going on inside. Verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive. The law of sin that dwells in my members. This section here uses quite a bit of militant vocabulary showing the, the battle that's happening inside of us. The conflict that he describes is the sanctification process, the, the process of change in our life. What's, the, what's he say? Man, it seems like evil's like lurking in every corner, just waiting to pounce. So now we're not trying to earn God's favor. We're trying to align our actions with our new identity, partnering with the Holy Spirit in change and transformation. So I, I wonder after seeing all this, he, he says, Man, my inner being delights in the law. This this if just to pause for a second. That wasn't possible before we knew Christ. Our inner being didn't align with Christ this is describing somebody that's that's fully been transformed from the inside but now the ripple effect needs to take place into their actions but he says but but be but be encouraged that there's change from the inside out but now this law of sin that resides so there's this pull and tug so my question for us is so can we actually change can we actually change I don't know if anybody ever gets sucked into daytime television, but you flip through the channels, you go from one talk show host to the next, and usually they're dealing with somebody that's broken and has a plethora of problems. And what do they try to do? They try to stir up the confidence that you can do this, you can change if you try a little harder, if you work a little. You have the power from within. Man, I see the the eyes of the people that are hearing this counselor, and they're like, "But you don't understand." I have this track record for the last 37 years. This is not going to be an easy victory. But they get pumped up and they're like, yeah, I can change. I can change. Yeah, maybe I think I can change. But the truth is, can we change? The answer to that is no, we can't change. Thanks so much for coming today. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But I, I wanted to explain what I mean by that. No, we can't change. It all has to do with the power source. Can we change? Is it, is it by our own strength? Like we talked about this marriage to Mr. Law last week. All right, this time I'm going to do it. I, I know Jesus did all the work on the cross to save me, but I'm going to do all the work to change me. No, no need to come to the same conclusion that paul did and and throw in the white towel look look what he says in this last section wretched man that i am who will deliver me from this body of death who will deliver me from this body of death he answers it himself thanks be to god through jesus christ our lord So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This idea at verse 24, it's like a cry of frustration. Wretched man I am, who will deliver me? See, Paul points to our need for help outside of ourselves. It shows that when we try to to live under the, the law, we'll eventually come to the end of our rope. That's the prelude to grace. That's a good thing. It's good to come to the end of your rope. It's good to come to the conclusion that I can't fix this. In the same way that we had to be dependent on God's grace to save us, we need to be dependent on his grace to change us. Do you see the gospel message there? Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Isn't that the same conclusion we need to come to before coming to Christ? We have to come to the conclusion that it doesn't matter how many good deeds I do. There's no scale that's going to, one's going to outweigh the other. It's not, I can't earn my way to heaven. Someone has to come to that conclusion and bend their knee, embrace the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. That's how somebody is, is saved And here we see the same conclusion has to happen. We have to bend our knee and say, I can't fix me. I can't change me. I bend my knee and submit to you in order to change. I can't do it. It's just not possible. Section isn't meant to defeat us, but to spare us the futility of trying to fix ourselves. We need to cultivate a sense of complete dependency, leading us, I like this, to humble hopefulness. Humble hopefulness. Oh, man, I can't do it, but guess who can? Guess who can? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord that pours out the well of grace that never runs dry. The well of grace that never runs dry. So when we're confused about this whole thing, what's going on? It's the new me existing in the old flesh. So I go back to the the question, so what is expected of church people? I'd propose this. See it in the text. We're broken, imperfect people with glaring inconsistencies in an ongoing battle with the old flesh, but clinging to Jesus Christ, trusting in his work on the cross, leaning into his grace as he gradually aligns our behavior with our new identity. That's the picture. That's the picture. That's that's, a, that's the invite to the to, to the community around us. Like, come here. We're really inconsistent, broken people. But you get, that that means you're welcome too. For the believer, you're like, all right, I can stay. I'm not a freak because I keep going back to these the 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 old flesh. But it's not a it's not a it's not a ticket and permission to stay there. It, it's a progression forward, but grace in the process, right? Grace in the process, transformation is expected. Don't get me wrong, we're getting into chapter eight and talking all about in that section about what it looks like to, to walk in the spirit and not in the old flesh. Excited to get into that in the new year. But the encouragement is, one, we're not in this alone. Even our, our, our senior statesman, Paul, he wrestled with it. He's like, I don't even understand this thing. I don't understand why the old me. But then he goes on to actually explain it the new me living in the old flesh. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this picture of our need for you for every aspect of the Christian life. It has to start with you in order to have our relationship restored to God. That's why we celebrate you at Christmas, the fact that you were the rescue to us but once we've embraced you as our savior, we also have to embrace you as the only one that can change us. If we couldn't change before, what makes us expect that we could change ourselves now? God, I thank you for the grace and the patience. Thank you that you sent us a helper, the Holy Spirit to start doing the work from the inside out. Thank you for the hope that Paul says, who can can rescue me gives the answer himself the one and only Jesus Christ that's why we gather here each week to celebrate you're the source you're our only hope pray this in Jesus Christ's name amen so one word comes to mind for church people the word dependence dependence amen can't do any of this on our own have a wonderful week God bless you